0: So Jimmy, I have a, a question that I'm very curious about, and it uh, has to do with movie-going etiquette. Hey. So, when you go to the movies, what's your candy of choice? Your, your beverage or refreshment of choice? Are you are you a popcorn mm. butter person? Are you a junior mints person?
1: I like junior mints. Popcorn always. Okay. But like half butter, half not. Okay. Ideally, yeah. the bottomless tub that you can keep going back to refill. Really? You've seen these?
0: I know. I've never done that. Clearly
1: game changers. But then that means if you've eaten beforehand, you just got to like stop so that you have enough in you, enough space left over for lots and lots of popcorn gorging. So
0: so when you're watching like the previews. You're, you're trying to pace yourself with the popcorn because it's happened to me a few times that I've actually eaten the whole yeah, but thing. but if it's
1: bottomless, you want to get That's through true. it actually so you can <laughs> yeah. you know, get back before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I don't like previews that much. So actually, I'm happy to just show up and pretend like I'm going to get the free refill and never actually go back for it. But I like the slushies.
0: Oh, you do? More than I like a yeah.
1: soda. Okay. Um, and I really like Milk Duds and Twistlers. Oh. There's a lot going on and Milk I wouldn't Duds. do all of those things. Yeah. Ideally, it would be like a slushy and the candy, mm-hmm. or a slushy and the popcorn. But maybe not all of the above. Okay. Unless it's my birthday.
0: Oh, ah. Yeah. I, I avoid the milk thuds. I feel like they're gonna like tear the teeth out of my head. Did you ever have braces? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they it's would two definitely years. tear your
1: braces out. Did you have them? Two years. Oh wow. Seventh and eighth grade.
0: Wow, well, we're veterans.
1: Mm, I wanted to be an orthodontist when I was little. Really? <laughs> because I was so mesmerized by <laughs> teeth.
0: Uh, well, teeth are fascinating until
1: they come out. Then they're gross. Yes. It's like uh, fingernails. I've lost so many teeth. Really nice until they're not a part of you. That's so true. You don't want to see them
0: anywhere else but where they're supposed to be. Hmm. Do you know I've had 14 teeth pulled out?
1: (laughs) You serious?
0: (laughs) Maybe we'll end there and leave everybody hanging.
1: To be continued.
0: (laughs) Yeah, to be continued.
2: Welcome to Season 2 of the Love Good Podcast, where you learn how to love what is good so you can become what you love and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by our patrons, a community of intentional consumers who curate music and books based on the transcendentals of beauty, truth, and goodness. Join us each week as we sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about media, culture, and what it means to be human. We're so happy you're here.
1: Welcome to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. This is episode 24. In just a few moments, I'll be sitting down, as I always do every other week, with Alana Boudreaux, my co host. We're talking about addiction and festivity. sounds really intense, and it kind of is, but we talked specifically about the movie A Beautiful Boy, the reality of addiction, not just in those people out there struggling with drug abuse, but really just addiction in general. I think a lot of us can even say, you know what, I kind of have an addictive personality. It's hard for me to kind of get my focus off of something once I get a little bit obsessed with it. And the reality is that actually there's a lot of good things out there that aren't worthy of our addiction but they're definitely worthy of our attention. And there's not much difference actually between addiction and festivity. And festivity is when you do leisure well with other people. You can't even do leisure, right? It's not something that you do. You you enter into leisure. It's something that restores you. It's something that kind of deep down in your soul reminds you what it means to be human, And a lot of really good things can be used for leisure and festivity. And if we're not careful, they can quickly become addiction. And that's really a big part of what Love Good exists to do is to provide those distinctions. What are the things that actually help our heart love what is good and become what we love? What are those things that expand our capacity for hope, that give us a deeper sense of what it means to be human? And what are those things that actually detract, that distract, that end up becoming addictions along the way? And certainly worth being able to discern. Anyways, it's an amazing conversation. I'm still riding the wave of chatting with Ellie Schmidley Two weeks ago, Nick Fabian, last week, we've now got hundreds and hundreds of patrons in seven different countries enjoying their brand new seasonal packages with not only new music from Ellie and Nick, we've also got novelty socks that some of you are probably wearing as you're listening to this podcast. Beautiful artwork by Bryce Denick a brand new mixtape from Magnolia Records. It's actually a vinyl mixtape. And of course, our Love Good curated coffee. Even our Love Good standard, which is now on beautiful magnets, probably on your refrigerators at home. If you guys are just now catching the bandwagon, go to lovegoodculture.com to learn more about all this stuff. But as always, stay tuned. In just a few moments, I'll be back with the one and only Alana B. What
0: if the stakes sound such a bad thing? What if they make you who you are? A story with no struggle You can't see the stars Without the dark Maybe we could
1: never Be Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. I'm sure you have been sitting at the edge of your seat, as have I. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell, sitting down with Alana Boudreaux, who mentioned something uh, not too long ago about 14 teeth.
0: Yeah. What? I had 14 teeth removed.
1: Okay. Can you can you share forcibly. when how? Uh, forcibly. I'm actually <laughs> trying to imagine <laughs> a scenario here where that's possible.
0: Well, okay. Here's the thing. Whenever I tell people that, they always... They get this kind of alarmed look on their face yeah. and then they, I can see that their mind is envisioning that I, maybe I had like a shark situation, you know, how sharks yes. have rows of teeth. Yes. They And I can see them sizing up the size of my jaw and just kind of like, how, I'm clear. What? my eyes
1: have been on your mouth ever since you said that. <laughs> just like
0: figuring out how <laughs> do the physics of the situation work. <laughs> and what it is, is my mouth is actually, it's too small for the average number of teeth. So that's what was oh. happening and they were just all crowding it was just a total explosion of teeth going in every possible direction what, what
1: age when did you find this out
0: like eight six six to eight or so with Ooh. that six to eight was when we noticed that the teeth were like not they, they were not being what teeth should be so i had four permanents and six baby teeth removed in one go wow. and then followed up with you know the other teeth that were the other four that were pulled out at some point. I don't know if it was sort of just arbitrary. The dentist was just on a roll. And he was like, I'm just going to keep going. And then I had braces for two years.
1: With what teeth that were left? <laughs> this is what I'm having a hard time picturing.
0: I can tell people. Yeah, they, they asked that too. They're like, "Is it, was there just like one tooth with a brace, <laughs> like trying to find other teeth? But it's it never looked like there were gaps. That's the crazy thing. It's just like... And to, my, to this day, I'm not sure how to describe it. I don't really know what to tell you, but
1: Do you mind if I look at your teeth for a yeah, second, yeah, see, they're all. They look so good.
0: Yeah, they're all like where they should they're be. They're perfect. There's yeah. no weirdness yeah. there that's anymore. Amazing. But wow. that's just that's, you know, pain. the miracles. Of pain modern is modern beauty, and beauty pain. is pain. Yeah, indeed. I, I don't know if we believe that here, but that uh, mm. Well, was,
1: that's been an interesting conversation that for would, another day. That would
0: I had a lot of Novocaine, though, too. So yeah. to be fair, it wasn't actually that painful. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, okay. This is great to know. So hmm, it has been a couple of weeks since we were last hanging out, yeah. chit-chatting about, oh, dating. Well done. We traversed into the unknown and uncomfortable yet again. But that was really cool because we got practical and we thought about dating and what it really looks like for a man to be a man, a woman to be a woman. But we're not, not about that today. Right. Mm -mm. We're going to pick up where we left off a month ago, which is kind of strange to say. Quick recap. We were chatting about technology. We were talking about embodiment, like this this Mm -hmm. disembodiment. Actually, what happens when we start to get too caught up in a digital world we forget like the flesh and blood reality of things right yeah. and the need that we have we chatted about even how some of our strongest memories are the ones that were tactile right that had nothing to do with a camera nothing to do with physical a involvement
0: yeah yeah yep.
1: yeah i'm um, pretty sure we found out along the way that one of your spiritual ancestors is genghis khan am I, am I confusing um, episodes at this point kubla khan, khan yeah and yeah you're, you're I actually would, I, no
0: no I might be related to John Wayne, though. Yeah. Oh! Did you know stop that? Stop the... It's the truth. Get out of so here. So he's part of the Morrison clan, the uh, Scottish Morrison clan, and so was my dad's side. Yeah. yeah. So there's some...
1: Do you have any idea how often I think about John Wayne or say his name out loud?
0: No. The Duke,
1: at least once a week. No way. Yeah, I'm not even a big fan, but I love his life story you and especially just, so, like
0: so just be in the grocery store I'd just be like John Wayne
1: no it's usually like in a I, I talk about my granddad sometimes yeah. in like little talks that I gave when I travel he was a John Wayne fan wow uh, okay so basically John Wayne like had this like crazy deathbed conversion thing like Bob Marley became a Coptic Christian on his deathbed from yeah, what I hear
0: that's what you hear
1: John Wayne became a Catholic
0: huh?
1: my grandfather became a Catholic on his deathbed I always thought if it's good enough for the Duke it's good enough for Paha there you go <laughs> so howdy doody Mm, that could get awkward. I'm not really sure if everybody in my family knows that that happened. Mm.
0: Mm, it's also very specific, too. Yeah. Like the Catholic thing. It's right. great, It's great, but is it a little too specific? I
1: don't know. But John Wayne, like, he was the Duke.
0: <laughs> was what a guy. And you related. We've covered a lot of ground. Yeah, really I mean, related? I'm having a
1: hard time believing this. Morrison clan from Scotland. Jimmy,
0: that's what they've told me since I was a oh, child. I just
1: wanted to be a cowboy.
0: Again, you never really know. You know how stories travel through it's families. True. It's true. But... I I, I don't have
1: a single story like that. Well, my dad met Neil Armstrong, oh, but we have a picture to prove it.
0: That's really cool. And an autograph. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's all we got that I know of. Well, Maybe my family will call in one day for the, love the yeah. podcast and share some crazy cool connection to who would I love to be related to? Hmm. Chesterton, obviously. Mm-hmm. Well, there's only a few: Tolkien, Lewis, the Inklings in general.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those'll you be also my wonder. People. Sometimes I wonder all the people that you know you admire and idolize it's wonderful but then sometimes when you're related to someone you get to see sides of them that are not as nice (laughs) it can kind of complicate the situation that doesn't necessarily mean you respect them less but it just complicates it i've heard so many funny
1: stories about tolkien i've heard funny stories about lewis yeah really oh yeah
0: (laughs) not like bad stories just like Funny, like, huh, what a quirk, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, that, that quirk is actually the word I would I would throw out for Tolkien, too. Yeah. But that's cool. Yeah. I love that, and I think it's easy to idealize people, mm-hmm. easy to forget that we're all just really human, and that's actually, like, so much of what today's conversation is about. But mm-hmm. let's start with Beautiful Boy. Yeah. Yeah, I spent my movie-going etiquette, and more um, well, specifically, the kinds of things I like to be munching on while watching a movie. But every now and then, seeing a movie is a bit of an existential experience, meaning, I feel ridiculous, you know, like eating popcorn while watching *A Quiet Place*. Right. One because I'm killing the silence right. with my munching, you know. Mm-hmm. Slurping on a, a Dr Pepper makes a lot less sense while watching, you know, a young man die of a meth addiction uh, mm-hmm. in *Beautiful mm-hmm. Boy*. Mm-hmm. And of all people, Steve Carell, right? This is, you know, several months ago that this movie was out, but it really, in some important ways, haunted me for a while. Mm. And, and maybe even still does today. And uh, I wouldn't give it like the old love good recommendation. Like you'd have to be ready for quite a bit of profanity, quite a bit of violence and sexuality. It's right in front of you the whole yeah. way through. But what I think really hit home for me was the humanity of it, the brokenness of it, the reality of it, this kind of father-son dynamic where at a certain point, the father had to let go, even in the midst of the son's Hmm. drug addiction. Yeah. And there was a surrender there that, like, really, really touched me. And also realizing, you know what, like, not much separates me from that young man, Mm -hmm. who even now in reality, it's based on a real film, sorry, the film is based on reality, he's only eight years clean. Hmm. And most Mm -hmm. people who get involved in drugs that intense, like meth, there's like a less than 10% chance of survival, because you basically keep turning up the doses, Yeah until you eventually kill yourself. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting and really relevant, especially in America, because from what I've been reading, this is the number one killer of young people these days is drug addiction, mm-hmm. drug overdoses specifically. You know, you look at yeah. that stats in other countries like the U.K., the number one killer is, in fact, suicide, right? Wow. yeah. So this conversation about addiction, which is interesting, right? You know, I really like a lot of things that, you know, would be easy to slip into an addiction with.
2: Mm-hmm. A lot mm-hmm. of things.
1: I, I love smoking cigars. I love drinking good beer, only good beer, obviously. You mm-hmm. know, I love my annual pilgrimage to Lynchburg, Tennessee, where I see the Jack Daniels distillery from mm-hmm. the inside out. Mm-hmm. You know, usually with some friends from another country. Yeah. Shout out to all my patron friends in England and New Zealand who have been there with me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess here's what I wonder. What is it that actually keeps those loves, those like genuine human loves? Right hopefully not attachments, but but genuine loves? What keeps them from becoming addictions? How do I keep them in that category of leisure or what we might even call in a minute festivity and guard against them taking over and, and, and me being a slave to them? And mm-hmm. I know this is something that everybody deals with. Everyone's got addiction somewhere in their family tree,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but where do we go from here? How do we ride again that line?
0: Yeah, that is, I mean, that that movie sounds amazing. Like, it sounds like one that I would love. Horrifying, and hopeful,
1: painful, beautiful.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's and also I'm I'm intrigued hearing about it just because there's there's a lot of addiction in my family and it's it is one of those questions where and I feel like most people's lives, in some way, whether it's in your immediate family, or a friend, or a grandparent, whatever, somewhere along the line, there's some someone who's addicted whether it's to a substance or what you know some kind of acting out behavior. And yeah, I I don't know, I think part of the battle is just identifying what's underneath it because I I feel like it's never really just that on its face. I mean, you could say that there are certain people who have a genetic predisposition toward addiction, which I think is very true and it's that's part of the battle is just being self-aware of what's in your family history. But I also feel like I feel like beneath a lot of addiction, I don't know if this is true in that movie or not, but I feel like a lot of it is unresolved trauma. Mm. You know what I mean? And I think sometimes the trauma, like a traumatizing experience can create this, I don't know, like a this cell of shame that mm. just multiplies in a person. And I think if they don't have a space where they feel safe to process that and not identify themselves with the thing that was done to them or that happened, mm. I almost think it's it's hard to bear, you know. So it's probably a combination, though, of like maybe someone's a thrill-seeking person. Maybe they have a predisposition to addiction. Maybe they were traumatized. Maybe it's all three of those elements. And I think hmm. it's like, I don't know. I think shame makes it a lot harder for us to find meaning in suffering. And I think that's kind of the crux of this whole thing is part of our lot in this life is we all suffer I think the difference is whether or not we feel there's meaning in the suffering and whether or not, like, what the suffering says about us. Right. You know what I mean? I think it. I think these things are all somehow mm. bound together. Like, yeah. self-loathing and addiction and shame, the ability to cope, like, healthily. And I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know exactly how they're all tied together. But that's just my initial thought on the subject. There's, you know what I mean? Like, mm. so, yeah.
1: I'm going to briefly paraphrase here from a book I've been reading. I don't even know what language this is. In Sinu Yesu, something like that. Mm -hmm. It's an anonymous author, but this is a bit of a paraphrase. He says, do not give in to the feelings of guilt and shame that assail you because you're not living up to some ideal that you have set for yourself. I do not ask you to be faithful to an ideal, but rather to simply be faithful and to live every moment. All the rest follows. And I think, This is sort of what I saw in the dynamic between Steve Carell, obviously, playing this heroic father Mm -hmm. who does everything and goes far out of his way to try to save his son. And the 18-year-old who, you know, went quickly from marijuana to meth and suddenly was spiraling Mm -hmm. out of control and uh, in the end tried to kill himself. Um, mm-hmm. To put himself out of his misery and the misery he was causing everybody around him. Right, yeah. And uh, it seems like there was a, an underlying shame, an underlying guilt. And even on the part of the father in this movie, this this underlying expectation. This is what killed me. There were so many moments where I thought, oh, man, Steve or whatever the, whatever the character's name was, the dad, if he had just like stepped in with a moment of like,
2: you have nothing
1: to prove, you know, mm-hmm. you have nothing yeah. that you think everything you think you have to be either to impress me as your dad or to impress right. society, yeah. whatever, none of that's real,
2: mm-hmm. you
0: know,
1: the, mm-hmm. th- there's, there was never this moment where you get a sense that the, the dad just had a sheer delight in his son. Hmm. And I wonder if that wouldn't have brought on a quicker healing. I wonder if that wouldn't have at least uncovered, what did you call it? The, the sort of trauma even sure, yeah. of some previous encounter, who knows right, wh- right. what it was. Yeah. But it was just so hard and so important to watch that movie for me, Mm -hmm. given that this is a very real lived human experience for a lot of people day in and day out. And and your whole world is suddenly turning in on itself when there's addiction in the family.
0: Right. Well, it's it's isolation. And and it's kind of if pain is just pain, why wouldn't you just end it? And if everything is absurd – You know, if if reality is just completely subjective, all of those questions, like they're really pertinent here where it's like, no wonder there's an epidemic of suicide and and drug overdose. If if the message that's being pumped is and again, I don't want to sound like like too apocryphal or something, but really, I feel like the zeitgeist is kind of saying that Mm. it's just it's all relative. It's all kind of absurd. And that's just not a sustainable worldview. No. You know what I mean? If that's—and nobody really lives that way. Like, nobody truly lives that way. That's right. dying. A, that, like, that's ceasing. Like, and and so that's—I feel like that's kind of at play with, with addiction, too. Mm. It's, it's, it's this kind of—I'm in pain. I want the pain to stop. I'm causing other people pain. I want that to stop. Mm. You know what I mean? And— I had an interesting experience with when I did the keto. They they talk about the keto flu. It's the Keto is this diet where you kind of mix carbs and sugar. And they, they say the first few days you're probably going to go through some like withdrawal symptoms of like your body reacting to not having sugar and carbs. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's probably not going to happen to me. But it did. Like the first night I did that, I woke up so nauseated i I went and i got sick i got the chills i was shaking i was feverish and i i just wanted a banana i wanted a bagel i was like i just want to feel normal again wow and then i realized oh my gosh like it actually created this space of empathy in me for certain people in my life who are addicts where i was like whoa if this is just like a shadow of what that addiction is like it's it's almost like the human instinct is I just want to feel better I want to feel normal again You know what I mean I don't want the pain that's right. And I think I think that's why perspective is like and that's that's where beauty and art come in They give us perspective They give language to the meaning like what feels meaningless in pain You know suffering is different than just sheer pain There's something There's something about it that I, I don't know. That can be understood. Something about it that doesn't have to translate into just sheer isolation mm. and and just dire aloneness and shame. You know what I mean? That's but it's right. it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of. How you see that and whether or not you believe that because otherwise mm. it is just kind of absurd and why wouldn't you just want to do something to make the pain stop? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But I was able to think about it and I was like, no, I, I'm, I'm fine. I'm going to work through it. And sure enough, I felt great the next morning and then the keto <laughs> ended up – I felt great. Like I really yeah. – it was, it was a great experiment and it was – was really good but um but
1: there was a certain pushing through there was
0: a pushing through yeah Yeah. yeah. because i i was like i can do this i'm just gonna try and
1: would have been easier if if you had started it on the exact same day with a really close friend for example like is this a bit of the difference between pain and suffering as pain isolates where suffering can actually like
0: be Mm -hmm. shared Mm -hmm. you know i think that's a really good point actually i think yeah. yeah yeah like having um Having a companion in that experience, because I did, I, I like immediately texted my sister and I was like, I feel so sick and I'm not going to do this <laughs> if it keeps going. Like I have a baby and all this, I need to take care of him and feel well. Yeah. And she she was like, oh, because her husband had done the diet before too. And she and he, she texted back, she's like, oh, he felt really sick too. And like, so that was helpful for me. I, I sought perspective right away just to bounce it off someone else. But yeah, I think that mm. that's, that's actually a really good point. the Reaching out to someone was... Kind of an instinctual response, like, yeah, Yeah. because I can't quite, you know what I mean? Like, that's a silly example, but it's hopefully sort of pertinent. Um,
1: It's great. And when do we run the risk, then, of things that are properly leisurely, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, for me, a a glass of red wine and some dark chocolate from New Zealand and, (laughs) you know, my Master's in Theology textbook. You Mm -hmm. know, that, like, probably sounds ridiculous to a lot of people listening, but that's a very— restorative moment for me. It's usually two hours on a Thursday night and, you know, I'm just like cranking out Thomas Aquinas and loving it, you know. Similarly, you know, the cigar that I really love to enjoy with men that I would hold up as brothers, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe like once a month, every three weeks tops. Yeah. You know, is there just less of that addictive personality in me than there was in... Other people in my family, you know, where addictions got the worst of them?
0: Yeah.
1: Or is there just a little bit more awareness? Is there just a little bit more self-control? Or at what point am I slipping myself? You know, that's sort of a yeah. very personal question. But I wonder, what are some of the clear signs, you know, that that something that could just as easily, you know, bring us out of ourselves in the best possible way to make mm-hmm. us, you know, more capable of encounter and more capable of connection with others? And i properly. probably build culture, you yeah, know, yeah. communion, culture, shared life. At what point do those things turn in on themselves and isolate?
0: Yeah. It's an interesting question. Like, when does it become, uh, you know, from I enjoy this to I need this. Right. Like I need this in order to feel not anxious. That's a good point. I think that's kind of like, what is it that you compulsively do to put, to keep the nerves at bay? Pray. I think that's the funny thing. That's a good thing. That's a good right, but like, is that addictive? I mean, this is a weird question, but you know what I'm saying. Like, I, I think, think I'd a, be a really anxious person. I think that's like a healthy coping. Like, <laughs> I think that's a good response. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think
1: that's exercise. Another good example. Very. Any of these things can become obsessive, mm-hmm. except maybe prayer. I don't know, but I, I think, think
0: that I, I think that can become obsessive yeah, in some ways. Like yep.
1: people who like, okay, good example would be a guy. I never met this guy, but I heard stories about this guy who was like. One hundred percent married with six kids, mm-hmm. and living this kind of monkish lifestyle.
0: Yeah,
1: and his kids were growing resentful of his absence hmm. because his absence was usually because he was praying. Yeah, that's a problem. That is. Suddenly, they're not a just resentful example. towards their dad; they're resentful towards the the church, the faith, all the things right. that that time of prayer represented, which meant dad wasn't with me. Yes. So yeah. that's really interesting, you know, that any one of these things can quickly become disordered, I yeah, guess. Yeah,
0: even if on its face, it's yeah. a good thing. Right. If it's taking you away from your legitimate responsibilities.
1: There you go. You,
0: like, that's just something to—
1: Dangerous, yeah.
0: To look at. And I feel—it's funny because I feel like our culture really does perpetuate addiction without even, like—
1: Oh, heck, yeah. You
0: know, like, I'll go on Facebook and there'll be all these memes, like, from from different moms about, like, how much wine they want to have at the end of the day and i'm kind of like wow like it's i don't know if you've ever noticed that maybe it's just because i'm a mom (laughs) you know but it's it's like it's done very tongue-in-cheek and like it's funny but for me when there's alcoholism in the family i'm kind of like it's not a joke man like that's right and and it's concerning that it's Mm. that it's sort of it's just built it's like baked in Mm. to the culture like I, i mean and that's how I feel like that's just Americans, like Americans drink a lot and it's like part of our social etiquette, which I I think it's personally, I love having a glass of bourbon with a friend because it makes me just like more just relaxed and like chatty and things are just more like I just see hilarity in even more things than I usually do. (laughs) But, but yeah, it's just like, I don't know, what, what is it that you think is exactly the distinguishing factor between let's let like let's use a drink as an example. Like how should it be mm. well, how should it be approached and how should it not be approached and what's the barometer, you know?
1: It's interesting. You're talking about like celebrating addiction, like a culture that celebrates escapism, like yeah. turning in on ourselves. I will not recommend this now that I've just done it. But in the last <laughs> ten seconds I hopped on my Instagram and I typed in the hashtag addicted. It's all really like wildly inappropriate. Oh. Um, which is interesting because where did we get to a point, you know, of celebrating? Ah, that's what's weird is it? it's addictions are enslaving, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and especially in this country, like we are, if there's a, if there's a word that best sort of captures the American spirit, mm-hmm. it's freedom, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I can't think of a better word, freedom. And, you know, the countries might joke about that, you know, land of the free, home of the brave, but like, it's a very real thing if and only if. There is self mastery if and only yeah. if there is, mm-hmm. you know. We talk about checks and balances in our political system. Do we have that within our own lives? Well, what does it look like to make sure yeah. that you've got like guardrails around you with family, with friends, with right. community too? And especially
0: know? now, where it, with postmodernism, kind of it's where religion is kind of disdained, which yeah. is kind of a built-in system for morality and and living a life that's more regimented, mm-hmm. which is funny because it actually ends up making you healthier, like when you That's have right. some guidelines. I mean, because you're going to have a few, I guess, I mean, there there are probably some like noble atheists out there who ascribe to like a Socratic mindset of mm. ethics, but not a lot really. It's almost like unless you have really, I think, a Christian understanding of virtue ethics, mm. I think it would be a lot harder to fight against the human tendency to escape yeah. and run away from pain, Which, because yeah. you know we are we are highly. I, I don't see any personally disparity or or um, like I, I don't find evolution and my faith to be like at odds. Right. So I, I I am always fascinated by looking at the biological roots of things and considering how there are so many just invisible forces and instincts that we each have as a like as a highly evolved organism. Mm. And I think addiction is one of those interesting things that has so many psychological physical biological layers totally. to it yeah. but but at the same time i think it would be kind of i don't know, almost ignorant to to say that it's something you could just overcome through the power of your mind on your <laughs> own as an individual it's you mm. know what i mean because and i'm not talking just about substance abuse i'm talking about escapism whatever mm. it is that we're escaping from and why
1: and that's very like aa al-anon 101 very right? much that we cannot yeah overcome this ourselves. Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. the first thing. It's like we admitted to God to ourselves and to another person that we were powerless <laughs> over the effects of alcohol. Yeah. That's the number 1 tenet, yeah, which yeah. is like amazing. Mm-hmm. Like it's that's that's like a golden rule almost for we admitted that we're not God. Yeah, that's
1: right. That's <laughs> you know, right.
0: and we don't we can't do it on our own. Mm. So that's just yeah. It's
1: mm.
0: actually it's just interesting to think about a culture that celebrates drunkenness when alcohol should help us celebrate with That's other right. people. You That's know, right. like it, it should be almost turned on its head, but yeah. it should help us enter into festivity and like
1: mm.
0: hilarity and joy and warmth and conviviality, you know. and
1: I mentioned Thomas Aquinas earlier. You want to share that quote?
0: Oh, yes. He said something like, we should drink to the point of hilarity, yeah. You know, I'm, which is nothing
1: like debauchery or drunkery. No, girl, it's not you know? like a
0: blackout thing. It's levity, just I love levity. that word. Levity, yeah, yeah. White, you, you know, mm-hmm. where you're just more porous and mm-hmm. you just enjoy mm-hmm. the other person's companionship more and
1: yeah, for yeah. Sure. Um, There's a sweetness there, and I think that's what we sell ourselves short on. There's a lot of like sweetness and joy and life to be lived, mm-hmm. but it it actually demands freedom. Like the only way there is freedom, and I think that's you know, as true of these kind of big picture things that we're talking about now as it is the little things like the the media that we curate. Like mm-hmm. if, if I was to just hold out sort of a golden rule or a litmus test, it's does this, does this album, does this book, does this movie, does this relationship, does this experience make me more open to the encounter with another? Yeah. Does it prepare yeah. me better for leisure and maybe specifically festivity, which is leisure with others, mm-hmm. or does it turn me in on myself? isolating me and making me closed off to the encounter. That's a huge thing. And I unfortunately think we have to stop about now because this is like going to keep going. And I think both of us are obviously not psychologists, but like, dang, there's some probably amazing things to be studied in these regards and some amazing connection points with with beauty and with culture and with what it really means to be human. And y'all, we realize that some of these conversations are like intense sometimes, our hope is that they just become conversation starters for you guys because we can't necessarily have this conversation for you, can we? We have to just hope that our beginning it is a way for you guys to continue it and to pursue the truth and to continue to let that truth transform and make your life something beautiful to behold.
0: Right. And and one thing I wanted to add, too, is just one of the Al-Anon slogans that I find really, really powerful is we are only as sick as our secrets. Mm. And that is that goes right to the heart of the isolation of addiction. Yeah. And whether you grew up in a home that was addicted, whether you yourself are addicted, that's the lie. Yeah. That you are isolated and, and you can't talk and you can't share and you can't feel. So yeah. it's just— Anyone listening out there who maybe hasn't shared and you feel isolated or ashamed, like, there's something so powerful about speaking it out mm. to, to a trusted person. Like, I don't know if you found that, but Absolutely. we are only as sick, sick as our secrets. And, yeah, you're loved. And, yeah, we just thank you guys for listening to Jimmy and I as we muse. explore and muse <laughs> and, yeah, chatter away about our teeth and movie preferences and, all, you know, all of the above. And, so.
1: not, and not to freak anybody out, but next time that Alana is on the show, that'll be two weeks from now, will be the last episode that she's with us for season two, mm-hmm. which is what? Crazy. Hard to believe. I know. But yeah, tune back in because who knows
0: where we're going to go. Yep. Yep. Stay tuned. Say and turn
2: around, the bridge is out, if you want to save your life. It's not too late. It's not too late not too late, it's not too late, it's not too late, it's not too late.
1: Well, thanks so much for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. It means the world to us. It brings me great joy personally knowing that there are thousands upon thousands of you all over the world. As far as I know, well over 50 countries represented in our listenership of the Love Good Podcast. And it's not just about a podcast, right? It is about you guys on the front lines building this better culture that we're always dreaming of, raising your standard, not just for media, but even for friendship, for dialogue, for the way that you enter into life every single day. Seeking that fullness, that joy, that freedom that we all long for. And it's really in the little things. That's one of the things I'm constantly reminded of from our artists, that it's in the little things that a better culture is built. And so next week, I have the privilege of sitting down with one of those artists. Her name is Rebecca Rubion. She's no stranger to Love Good. We have previously invested in her Christmas project and multiple EPs. Our patrons have had exclusive access to Rebecca Rubion music on more than one occasion. And she's amazing. And most recently has been featured on Grey's Anatomy. She's somebody who gets the little things right. She's not just chasing after a dream. She's living a dream at this point. And I think you're going to love this conversation. I'm also really pumped to announce something. Okay, so obviously we're wrapping up season two of the podcast. We've only got a few episodes left, but we're also about to transition into the craziest time of the year. Not just for me, but for Love Good in general. We have loads and loads of events coming down the pipeline, and we want to come to you, all right? Wherever you find yourself, we want to meet you. We want to get to know you. We want to stand shoulder to shoulder in this rebuilding of culture. And uh, we're quite convinced that often the more intimate the venue, the more uh, amazing the opportunity can be to do that well. So all that being said, we can tack on extra days, especially when I'm on the road, for our Fireside House concerts. If you want to bring it to your church, if you want to bring us to your neighborhood amphitheater, if you've got some other cool coffee shop venue in town where you want to bring culture to life we want to hear from you we want to make it happen so check out lovegoodculture.com slash fireside and let's make something happen in a hometown near you we love you guys hope you have an amazing rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon peace
2: thanks for tuning in to season two of the love good podcast tell your friends all about us Stay in touch on social media and be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. You can join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at lovegoodculture.com. Start enjoying our seasonal packages that will raise your standard for media and inspire you to build a better culture. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.